Some friends of ours who live in Atlanta have two small sons, and one evening the younger of the two wouldn't stay in bed. Now, I should warn you that this story is what my children would call a dad joke. But nonetheless, I promise, honest, in this case, this one is true, a true story. On one of the trips back to the bedroom, the mother suggested that the son meditate on the happy psalm, the 23rd psalm. In a few minutes, here came the son out of the bedroom yet again to ask, What was the name of that third sheep? The parents were puzzled and asked what he meant, and he said, You know, in the happy psalm there are three sheep. One of them is named Shirley, and one of them Goodness. And what is the third sheep that keeps following you? Not a parenting technique I would would recommend. It's appropriate now for you to groan at the story. But I suspect that if I took a poll of the congregation gathered here today, the 23rd Psalm would easily get the most votes as both the favorite and the most familiar of all the 150 Psalms. It is often heard in hospitals. It is often spoken at the side of graves. Many of us have memorized it. It is clearly the most used of the Psalms. But it was not always so. It was in the last half of the 19th century that the Psalm became so prominent. The 23rd, as it is often called, has never been as influential in parts of the world which do not speak English as its first language. It was in the decades after the American Civil War that the psalm became so popular in American Protestantism in part through the preaching of Henry Ward Beecher, a New York Congregationalist, and supported, interestingly, by Louisa May Alcott's use of the psalm in Little Women. That work harkens back to John Bunyan's Pilgrim's Pilgrim's Progress, in the 17th century, and the phrase, the valley of the shadow of death. The romanticism and sentimentality of popular culture in 19th century America helped weave this text into the very soul of American Protestantism, and that influence has spread to many places. The psalm seems so personal and so beautiful and commends such a hopeful image of God, and it's easy to memorize. And so this text really has become an American icon, always in the King Jim Version. But because people are so familiar with the psalm, and it is so magical for many, I have always hesitated to preach on it. I think it's very difficult for us to examine it seriously and to think about its proclamation. But today I want us all to relax and to consider the significance of this brief and exquisite piece of prayed poetry and its enticing portrait of faith. 
first, let me give you my translation. The Lord is my shepherd. I shall not want. The Lord makes it possible for me to lie down in fresh pastures and leads me beside peaceful waters and restores my life. The Lord leads me in righteous ways for the sake of the divine name. Even though I walk through the valley of terror, I fear no evil, for you are with me. Your rod and your staff, they comfort me. You prepare a table before me in front of my oppressors. My cup overflows. Surely, goodness and steadfast love will pursue me all the days of my life, and I will return to the house of the Lord for the rest of my day. The psalm trades on two images, God as shepherd and God as the one who provides hospitality. The setting is the time of the change of pastures, a time of danger. And yet the shepherd leads and provides food, water, rest, protection with the shepherd's rod and staff. This psalm of trust praises God as trustworthy of our faith. This psalm of praise says that life has shown that God is worthy of trust. I know two things about the portrait of faith in these first verses. First, faith is realistic. Did you hear of the deepest darkest valley, the valley of the shadow of death, and in verse 5 of enemies, faith does not mean denial of the problems of the world. It is not a kind of Pollyanna attitude. Faith is, does not mean that everyone will live happily ever after, or that everything is beautiful in its own way. Or that we should just be sweet and love Jesus and everything will be all right. That is a lie. And it is misleading. No, what the psalm does is it includes the trouble and woe of life inside the circle of faith. I mean, if we know everything is going to be all right, then we don't really need faith, do we? Faith is the assurance of things hoped for. Faith is the conviction of things not seen. The 23rd Psalm's faith is no sentimental babble. It is a tough, realistic faith in a hard world. It is the witness of Scripture and of the church through the centuries, and it is my witness today that including crises within the arena of faith provides our only real hope for dealing constructively with crises. Second, faith has something to do with keeping on. Even in the midst of the darkness of the valley, and even with the pursuit of enemies, faithful folk journey on in view of the providence and guidance of the shepherd, of God. Carlisle Marnie said, 
we go on as far as we can with the light we perceive. When we arrive there, we trust there will be more light. Journeying on in the conviction of things not seen is a foundational dimension of faith in a world like ours, a world with chaos knocking at the door. I suspect that the primary purpose of the 23rd Psalm is to nurture faith in us, to awaken us to the reality that we can trust our life with God. God, who is here described as shepherd, and the one who provides for us, who provides hospitality for us. This is a powerful song of trust. The second image of the psalm, the first being the image of God as shepherd, the second image of the psalm comes in verses 4 and 5, where the shepherd now hosts the speaker of the song. The God of hospitality prepares a banquet, even in the face of oppressors, and anoints with the oil of joy. And so now, rather than enemies, God's steadfast love, God's goodness, which does not change with external circumstances, those realities pursue this person of The last verse speaks of God's continuing hospitality. This conclusion of the psalm has been much misunderstood. Its translation has been influenced by popular culture and has often followed versions from languages other than the Hebrew text, which is, of course, the real Bible. Ask any of your Old Testament scholars on the faculty. The conclusion of the psalm focuses on the locus for the nurturing of faith. I will return to the house of the Lord. I will return to the house of the Lord for the rest of my days. It is about continuing to return to the place of worship for the rest of life. Faith, a relationship between God and believers, is nurtured in worship at the house of the Lord. God's presence encountered in worship renews, restores, and brings growth in that relationship of trust. Growth in relationship takes time, and worship is time and conversation with God. The other part of the context of faith is the community. For the house of the Lord is also the place of the household of faith. A support community is mandatory for a vibrant faith. Other persons on the pilgrimage share our celebrations and support and guide us. Even when we are alone or struggling, their spirit is somehow with us and upholds us. God is with us in the community around us. Faith implies a commitment to and a concern for each other and a responsibility for the community in which we live. A worshiping community nurtures faith. I suspect I could go around this room and call on various people to testify to the power of the support that members of faith communities have given them in times of illness or grief or struggle. 
Do you remember others and how they have cared for you on the journey? Such experiences bear powerful witness to the portrait of faith painted in the 23rd Psalm. Well, I fear that my prosaic description of the 23rd Psalm may not communicate well the colors and tones of its captivating portrait of faith because they are commended to us with such figurative language. So I ask you to entertain with me one of the psalm's images. Fear. Verse 4 says, I will not fear. And Barbara Brown Taylor has insightfully seen that apparently those are the two choices available to us in the midst of terror, the valley of the shadow of death. We can fear or we can believe. We can panic and fall overboard or we can ride out the storm. We can despair or we can wait and hope in faith. We can fear or we can believe as the psalm commands. My experience, though, suggests that it is seldom, for most of us, a matter of either or. Hardly anyone believes all the time, fully. But I do think many of us have experienced this profound difference between fear and faith. Fear is a small cell with no air in it. And no light. It is suffocating inside and dark. There is no room to turn around inside it. You can only face in one direction, but it hardly matters because you can't see anyhow. There is no future in fear. Everything is over and past. When you are locked up like that, tomorrow is as far away as the moon. You cannot move, you cannot breathe, you are alone, locked away, hermetically sealed. Faith is something else altogether. Although it is not what some would have us think. It is not a well-feathered nest or a well-defended castle high on a hill I would suggest it is more like a rope bridge over a scenic gorge. Sturdy, but swinging back and forth with plenty of light and plenty of air, but precious little to hang on to except the stories we have heard. That it is the best way and indeed the only way across, that it is possible, that it will bear our weight. What we have to do is believe in the bridge more than we believe in the gorge. But fortunately, we do not have to faith it all by ourselves. There are others to faith it with us, and even some to believe it for us when our own belief wears thin. 
They have crossed the bridge ahead of us and are waiting on the other side. We can talk to them as we step into the air, putting one foot ahead of the other, just that, one step at a time. It takes a lot of courage to take those steps, but if we believe our psalm, the bridge will hold. Faith will not put us in charge or get us what we want or save us from all harm, but with faith in the providing and nurturing God, we may gradually lose our fear of the life journey. Whatever our current circumstance, we may come to learn to live fully, abundantly, and even to love the faith journey. Because, as the 23rd Psalm professes, our shepherding and welcoming God lives and loves us and loves our faith journey. Let us pray. We believe, Lord, help our unbelief.